I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. I'd like to congratulate and thank Sidney Powell for getting Tucker Carlson fired. Obviously, Tucker Carlson got Tucker Carlson fired, but as all of the reporting threads of how the highest-rated host in cable news today was thrown off the proverbial cliff yesterday were stitched together, it became clear there was an entire box full of final straws, but the most final of them was the one in which Tucker Carlson called Sidney Powell the C-word. And it may be on tape. We do know it is on the record. Lachlan Cartwright at the Daily Beast reported last night that the subject of that word and that idiot Sidney Powell came up in Carlson's deposition in the Dominion defamation case. People familiar said the Dominion attorneys asked, quote, if this wasn't the only time you referred to Sidney Powell as a C word. And Carlson's reply was, quote, you know, I, I, I can't know, and I just want to apologize preemptively. I mean, you're trying to embarrass me. You're definitely succeeding as I am embarrassed and unemployed. If you really wanted to point to the person besides this condescending, racist, misogynistic, unemployed scumbag who got this condescending, racist, misogynistic, unemployed scumbag off every TV in every U.S. military base in the world and every police station and half the public spaces in this country, it is Abby Grossberg, the former guest booker on Carlson's show and before him on Maria Bartiromo's show. As I mentioned in the special edition of this podcast yesterday afternoon, it is Grossberg's suit that tips the balance. Last night, her attorney, Parisis G. Filipatos, said Ms. Grossberg has nearly 90 recordings from her time at Fox, all of them supporting her contention and her legal action that the place was, particularly in Tucker Carlson's office, a sexist, abusive, vengeful hellhole. That is is what got Tucker Carlson fired. 
what Grossberg alleged in her suit and in her part of the Dominion case matched not only every text and every email publicly revealed in the discovery for the Dominion suit, but maybe more importantly, it also matched all of those blacked out parts on all of those texts and emails. Fox's lawyers redacted them. But we're not going to be able to redact them at trial, which was itself one of the reasons Rupert Murdoch settled that trial. And of course, once they would have been on the record in the Dominion case, they would have been available for Abby Grossberg to introduce into her suit, which already has the Nancy Pelosi swimsuit story and the Gretchen Whitmer Tudor Dixon uh, contest. That got to Fox, quote, news, unquote, CEO Suzanne Scott, and she went to Fox CEO Lachlan Murdoch, and Friday night they decided they wanted Tucker Carlson gone, as the New York Times and the Washington Post both reported, though both organizations seemingly have left out the next step without which Carlson would still be preparing, as we speak, to spew more bile tonight. As Fox sources explained it to me, Scott and Lachlan Murdoch went to Lachlan Murdoch's dad at some point over the weekend, and that's when Rupert Murdoch personally ordered him fired. Fired for the poisoning of his workplace with stuff that got Fox sued, and for the insulting things that Carlson had said about Fox executives as revealed, or as redacted, in the Dominion discovery, all of which I reported yesterday. He was not fired as the result of his lies exposed in the Dominion suit per se. He was not fired for being a fascist, for being a racist, for being a conspiracy monger. He was fired for being someone who hates and abuses women and who insulted his employers. It fell for Scott to call Carlson yesterday morning and tell him, to Carlson's utter shock and disbelief by all accounts, they gave him 10 minutes warning before making it public. The Daily Beast again reporting his reply to mystified and possibly now also unemployed staffers was, quote, I have no idea what's going on. Well, I could have told you that, Tucker. Vanity Fair yesterday reposted a feature on Fox that underscored that Rupert Murdoch has seemingly been ready to off Carlson for some time. It said that before he broke it off with his not-quite-90-day fiancé Ann Leslie Smith, quote, one source close to Murdoch said he had become increasingly uncomfortable with Smith's evangelical views. Quote, she said Tucker Carlson is a messenger from God, and he said, nope. It is widely reported that Fox will continue to pay Carlson his full salary itself. Something of a mystery. Is it 20 million? Is it 30 million? And before you reel at the thought of how much of a non-punishment that is, remember, it does come with a sting in its tail. Carlson only gets that money if he does not get another job, almost any other job. I have been through this personally fired by Fox, by Rupert Murdoch, paid every dime I was owed, but I was not allowed to do any work for any other sports media outlet until two months remained in my deal. And any time I made any other money in any other medium, even the $20 per report that I got for filing for all-news radio station KFWB in Los Angeles after 9-11, $20 per report, and Fox deducted it from the 700000 it owed me. In short, Carlson can take the 20 or $30 million Fox owes him and sit out the remaining years of his deal, 
Or he can take less to go work at a Newsmax or at, say, News Nation, which is also known as the Nick at Night of newscasters from 20 years ago. Fox will not underwrite him working for any channel that is even nominally considered its competition. The only way he winds up on Newsmax is if he forfeits a free 20 or 30 million a year. There are three punchlines to the Carlson story before we move on to everybody else who got fired. The White House Correspondents' Dinner is this Saturday. Not that Fox attends it, but the comedian host, Roy Wood, he says he now has to throw away his entire script. I know how that feels. The idea that Carlson might get a new show immediately somewhere proved instantly true, at least an offer for one. He was offered one by RT, the Russian state-run propaganda channel, which has already been running clips of him anyway, but is now willing to pay him, obviously paying him in vouchers for meals near the strip mall near the Kremlin. And all day yesterday, rumors persisted that Fox was finally going to fully address Carlson's firing on air as the show that your cable or satellite provider still believed was called Tucker Carlson Tonight hit the air at 8 o'clock Eastern time. Well, it turns out they did address it. And the addressing consisted of Brian Kilmeade saying they'd parted ways, he considered himself a great friend of Tucker, and bye. Tucker Carlson, demon of American fascist media on Friday night, the father Coglin of our time, the Bill O'Reilly of our time as Monday morning broke, was shoved off the Fox stage in a total time of 8.77 seconds. Bye, Felicia. Okay, so now that he belongs to the ages, let's go through the latest on everybody else who got fired in the last 48 hours, and we start with Don Lemon. There are rumbles out of CNN that he might still have survived the infamous Nikki Haley Prime quote. Remember, it wasn't just misogyny and ageism. He said, if you Google when a woman is in her prime, it will say 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. I'm just saying what the facts are. Google it. The obstreperousness of that. The anger and the nonsense of Googling something like that indicate a guy who was not coping well with doing mornings. And trust me, I can't do mornings, radio or TV. My record is like two days without starting to hallucinate. Latest on Lemon is he might still have survived that, but when one of the fringe Republican presidential vanity candidates, this Vivek guy, insisted on air that the NRA was responsible for civil rights for black people in the 60s during an interview with Don Lemon, and Lemon correctly slammed him, CNN's new fascist owners recoiled. And still, the Daily Beast reports, CNN was thinking... Negotiate this. Make it a mutual decision. Let's have a buyout. Give Lemon a chance to do a farewell on the air. He's been here 17 years. And then two additional things happened. Sensing the end was approaching, Don Lemon hired a communications crisis expert, and he chose he chose Allison Gollust, an old colleague of mine from NBC who just happened to be, you know, Jeff Zucker's squeeze and was the nominal reason CNN could fire its most successful executive this century and replace him with this idiot licked and shove her out the door as well. Maybe not the right person to handle stuff at CNN. The other killer was after his agents informed him he was done. Lemon immediately tweeted that he had been terminated. And so a planned meeting with Chris Lick for yesterday afternoon to discuss a soft landing was also terminated. 
On the other hand, faced with a meeting with Chris Licht, I probably would have announced I had been terminated as well, just to not have to go. On the other, other hand, when Fox pushed me out the door from sports in 2001, they were desperately trying to get me to overreact in exactly the way Don Lemon did. One day, they took away my baseball assignments. The next day, they took away my cable show. The day after that, they told me to come in and clean out my office. They expected me to blow up so they could fire me for cause and owe me nothing. It never occurred to them that if I just restrained myself for only seven months... I could not only get the $700,000 they still owed me, but the day the contract expired and the last check cleared, I could begin slamming Fox every day for the rest of my life, which I have. I don't know if CNN is going to pay Lemon out the way Fox is supposed to pay Carlson out. They might be able to terminate him for cause now after making the announcement, though what would that do except make him more of a martyr? The real problem CNN's geniuses now have, which they clearly did not stop to think about for one minute, is that while MSNBC is doing well by contrast to them, MSNBC's ratings, frankly, suck. Chris Hayes and Lawrence O'Donnell have been somnambulant for years. Alex Wagner has done one memorable show in eight months, memorable in a good way, and I honestly had to go look up who hosts at 11 p.m., especially given the accusations of racism after the firing of Tiffany Cross, Lemon would be a good move by MSNBC. Put him on at 9 p.m., where he had been something of a hit at CNN and had his own audience, and he wasn't encumbered by unqualified co-hosts who made him shout, Google it. There's no info here. This is just speculation on my part. Of course, it is at MSNBC and NBC that they were the happiest in the wake of yesterday's Cablegeddon the most startling TV corporate boardroom change since Les Moonves got caught at CBS had a news cycle shelf life of less than 24 hours. Anybody remember NBC firing its CEO? Anybody over a woman with a weird name? The Wall Street Journal says Jeff Shell was fired for cause way back when on Sunday. No money. Here, you can take your business cards, you go sell them on eBay. There's your money. And the lawyers from the woman named in this case, Handley Gamble, are giving NBC new problems because she was the woman named in the case. They accuse NBC of doing that, of leaking her name deliberately to take some of the heat off of Shell or off of them or off of somebody. Quote, the investigation into Mr. Shell, said her lawyer, arose from a complaint by my client of sexual harassment and sex discrimination. Now, you can connect the dots here, and I think pretty easily. If Gamble and Shell had, as reported, a relationship as long ago as 2011, and it petered out, and it has been dormant for several years, and she suddenly has filed a harassment claim in the last month and a discrimination claim against Jeff Shell, it's a pretty good guess that my old lying ex-friend tried to restart the fling with Gamble, and she said no. And he continued to press her, and finally he either offered her career rewards inside NBC or he threatened her with demotion. And either way, maybe they shouldn't even let him take those business cards with him. The funniest part of the Shell story, besides my still shimmering, vast bowl of schadenfreude, is the statement that Jeff Shell was now going to spend more time with his family. Presumably explaining to them that, yes, he screwed up his entire career, 
by lying to them and to his employers. And yes, her name really is Hadley Gamble. And lastly, on this broad topic, somebody lost his job yesterday who did not advocate turning Europe over to Vladimir Putin or call Sidney Powell the C-word, or insisting women peaked before they were 50, or using company email to try to restart an illicit relationship with a reporter. His name was Mike Soltis, and he was an employee of ESPN for 43 years and vice president of PR there, and he was part of the layoffs there yesterday. Mike is probably best known for saying, after I first left ESPN in 1997, that I had not only burned my bridges there, but I had napalmed them. Now, I have always had one sticky little complaint with that line, that it was pretty good, but that it was clear Mike had heard something I had said after I left ESPN when I was on Tom Snyder's CBS TV late night show. Tom asked me if I had burned my bridges at ESPN, and I said... I not only burned the bridges, Tom, I burned the rivers. Still, I always felt good about helping Mike to his place in the sun. More seriously, when I returned to ESPN full-time in 2013, one of the first people to welcome me back was Mike Soltis, and he remained one of my biggest supporters and promoters throughout that tenure and my next return in 2018. So if you see that Soltis quote about me, just remember... We both laughed about it. Good luck, Mike. Still ahead on this edition of Countdown, if you are not going to indict Trump and those around him, why would you warn local law enforcement to provide heightened security in your town between July and September? This is not a tough tea leaf to read. The Fulton County DA has warned local law enforcement the indictments are coming as soon as three months from now. In a tradition as old as sports itself, the New York Jets have traded for another old-timey washed-up quarterback, except this one is 39 years old, is an anti-vaxxer, anti-big pharma conspiracy theorist, and he will now draw his $59 million salary from the heir to the Johnson & Johnson Big Pharma Company. What could possibly go wrong? And if we are talking New York quarterbacks, I'm going back in time to the day one of them nearly kept me from graduating from college. Things I promise not to tell, the Joe Pisarchik edition, that's next. This is Countdown. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Coming up, when you think nobody noticed that your TV network just ended the show starring its biggest name. Rachel Maddow tried this once. Now Brian Kilmeade has two, only much dumber. Much, much dumber. First, postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Atlanta. A little more on D.A. Fonnie Willis moving closer and closer and slower and slower towards indicting Trump and his minions. She has now warned local law enforcement about her timeline for indicting. We're not indicting, but if she's not indicting, why would she be doing this? Trump and company. She has written telling local law enforcement to be prepared for, quote, heightened security and preparedness between July 11th and September 1st because her announcement, quote, may provoke a significant public reaction. Yeah, when we have the prospect of riots because Trump isn't indicted, this will be the utopia of our dreams. She's indicting somebody looking at you, Rudy. Dateline, the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas just got caught by the Wall Street Journal. Let me quote the start of Zoe Tillman's minor blockbuster, if such a thing isn't too much of an oxymoron, a minor blockbuster. Thomas, quote, said he was advised he didn't have to disclose private jet flights and luxury vacations paid for by billionaire Harlan Crow because, although a close friend, Crow, quote, did not have business before the court. But in at least one case, Crow did. Tillman goes on to give the details. In January 2005, an architectural firm had sued a property company for $25 million or more for basically stealing its copyrighted designs for buildings. Womack and Hampton Architects had designed some stuff for this property company in the 90s, then discovered that it was still using its designs, even letting other architects use them a decade later. Womack and Hampton sued for $25 million. This raised an important intellectual property issue, and the case rose through the courts. The last decision was against the architects. Then the Supreme Court declined to hear the case. So the property company won and did not have to pay more than $25 million. And the name of the property company? Trammell Crow Residential. Founded by Trammell Crow Sr., father of... Of... Anybody paying attention? You got it. Father of Harlan Crow. Nearly half the company at that time was owned by Crow Holdings, chairman and CEO Harlan Crow. $25 million richer because Clarence Thomas and the Supreme Court would not hear the appeal of the case. Just a drop in the bucket given Crow's political and legal activism that also reached the court, but it counts and it's tangible and it's $25 million in corruption and it's just a drop in the bucket of Clarence name your price, Thomas. Christ. 
And Dateline Port Isabel and Boca Chica, Texas. Elon Musk's SpaceX disaster last week, wherein his rocket blowed up good, blowed up real good, also painted the town, not red, but brown and gray. Almost everything in the area surrounding the launch pad in Texas is or was bombarded, broken windows, buildings damaged, schools covered in a coating of sand and ash, and the whole town covered in a coating of sand and ash, only it's not sand, it's, it's whatever was in the rocket. God knows what that was. <laughs> Thank you, Nancy Faust. A town full of dirty laundry. Knowing Musk, what was in that rocket was the sweat of apartheid diamond miners. The Federal Aviation Administration is not real happy about this. It has now grounded all future Starship launches until the results of a, quote, mishap investigation. No comment yet from Grace Slick. Yeah, the mishap here is that the United States government has any connection to this idiot Musk and his inability to understand that there are other humans on this planet besides him. Terminate his contract, please. Still ahead on Countdown, in a second I'll be invoking the new New York Jets football quarterback and thus I am immediately transported to the day when I was 19 years old and I nearly didn't graduate from college because of a New York Giants quarterback. Things I promise not to tell next. First time for the Daily Roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The Bronze, the New York Jets, and Aaron Rodgers. They made that trade. They brought the vaccine scam artist to quarterback in Fun City. There's a reason the Jets have not won the Super Bowl since two weeks after my 10th birthday. The Jets are addicted to trading for Old Timers Day candidates. In the last 30 years, they've dealt for or signed Brett Favre, Joe Flacco, Michael Vick, Vinny Testaverde, Neil O'Donnell, Frank Reich, Bubby Brister, Boomer Esiason, even Tim Tebow, and now Aaron Rodgers, all washed-up quarterbacks who shockingly never got any better and never won anything for the Jets. But this time it's special. The Jets are owned by Woody Johnson, who is the heir to the Johnson & Johnson Company, which is Big Pharma. And they've just traded for an anti-Big Pharma vaccine conspiracy theorist to be their new quarterback. And he will now take Big Pharma's money, $59 million of it. I can't imagine that will come up in the New York media. Oh, and by the way, Woody Johnson? Isn't that a redundant name? The bronze, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, speaking of redundant. We have saluted her original career here. Fashion advice. Baubles and rhinestones, and you can take the pitch woman out of the crappy products department, but you can't take the crappy products out of the pitch woman. Marsha is now asking for donations to help her cut red tape in Washington. If you pledge $20 today, I'll send you your very own Made in America pizza cutter. Together, we can cut the red tape once and for all. By golly, Marsha Blackburn's own custom pizza cutter. 
and you can trust her, she uses it on her hair. But our winner, Brian Kilmeade, the guy ordered into the chair at Fox at 8 p.m. last night when they fired Tuxin Carlson. I mean, I've been there. Firings, departures, they destabilize people and, and workplaces. And then there are those who, of course, come pre-destabilized, like this idiot Kilmeade. At 6.19 Eastern, Kilmeade tweeted, quote, Tune in tonight at 8 p.m. for a big surprise on Fox. Yeah, Brian, I think by then it was no longer a surprise. Brian, he deleted the tweet just like his bosses deleted Tucker Carlson. Today's worst person in the world! I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. To the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promised not to tell. Since I already brought up New York quarterbacks in the story of the trade of Aaron, I hate Big Pharma, but I'll happily take $59 million in salary from the Nepo baby owner who got rich from Johnson & Johnson, Rogers. There's another story to tell. New York's football teams have played in Old Giant Stadium and New Giant Stadium, which has a corporate name too, but why does everybody use corporate stadium names? You are not obliged to do their advertising for them. Call it Giant Stadium. Anyway, they played in Giant Stadiums in New Jersey since 1984, a unique arrangement in major American sports. They literally changed the color of the lighting in the stadium gift shops from green to blue or back to green or back to blue, depending on which team is playing there that week. So the Giants and Jets fans share a common place to weep. Although the Jets weep more frequently, I think of the Giants and the Jets as just one franchise. And so you say Jets quarterbacks, I say Giants quarterbacks. And I flash back, inevitably, 
to the day I actually walked reluctantly but proudly into a class as a senior at Cornell University, if I remember correctly, to get into Professor Joel Silby's 19th century American history course, eight credits spanning two semesters, I had to get permission from the head of the history department because I was not a history major. I just took all the history classes they would let me. And this one, Silby's, this was one of the good ones. And I remember Professor Silby's first lecture and the accent and the mannerisms that quickly identified him not only as a fellow native New Yorker, but as a Brooklynite and a Brooklynite fan of, as he quickly told us, the New York football giants. What Professor Joel Silby said next caused the, I think it was 200 or so other students in the lecture hall to laugh. All of them except me, because I was the sports director of the Cornell student-owned radio station, and in those days, you could actually know everything about and everybody in all the national sports off the top of your head, and usually that meant you could figure out all the teams in all the sports that had the slightest chance of succeeding, and all the teams in all the sports that did not, and the New York football giants did not. I want you to know I grade the papers, not the teaching assistants, me. And I happen to be a lifelong, therefore long-suffering fan of the New York football Giants. I saw my first Giants game in 1945. And over the years, I happened to have developed this habit of grading your papers on Sunday afternoons and evenings right after I watch my New York football Giants. So to some degree, great or small, your grade will depend on how well the New York football Giants do in this 1978 National Football League season. 199 of Joel Silby's students laughed. I emitted a low moan. Since they had gone to five NFL championship games in the six seasons ending in 1963 and lost all five, by the way, the Giants had had exactly two winning seasons and they had lost nine of 14 games the year before 1977. Though they had opened this 1978 season with a narrow victory over a very bad Tampa Bay team, and the first half of their schedule had as many as four more opponents who they might be better than, they would be lucky to win two games in the second half of the season. When I got back to the radio station, I looked at the Giants' schedule and Professor Silby's class schedule, and I circled one critical day when the schedules converged. Sunday, November 19, 1978. Our term papers were due on Thursday the 16th. He could actually read them all after the Giants-Eagles game that night and the following day. Amazingly, your New York football Giants actually opened the season winning three of their first four. In the middle of October, they were still five and three, and in the history lecture room, Professor Silby was very happy, and he often recreated highlights of his glorious Giants' pleasing success, and he was furiously fanboying on the new quarterback they'd brought in from the Canadian League, Joe Pisarchik. If you are a football history fan, or God forbid, a fan of the New York football Giants, you already know where I'm going with this. The Giants lost the next three games, and then our term papers were due on November 16th, and Joel Silby turned morose. And I was at the radio station watching the Giants-Eagles game of the 19th on a big black-and-white TV in the lounge when my nightmare unfolded. 
impossibly. The Giants led the much better Philadelphia Eagles 14-0 after the first quarter. Pesarchik threw two touchdown passes. After the third quarter, it was still 17-6 Giants. Then the Eagles scored and they were driving to go ahead with a minute and a half left in the game when the impossible happened. Deep in Giants territory, the Philly quarterback threw an interception. With 83 seconds left and in possession of the ball, the Giants led 17-13. The crowd at the radio station was ecstatic. I was even more ecstatic. All the Giants now had to do was stall and have the quarterback fall on the ball maybe twice. As if he had heard me, the quarterback, Joe Pisarczyk, fell on the ball. Then he nearly killed me by handing the ball off to his running back, Larry Zonka, who plowed up the middle to get a first down and burn another 30 seconds off the clock. The Eagles called their last timeout. 31 seconds left. 31 seconds to my grade in Joel Silby's 19th century American history class, probably ending up being half or maybe even a full grade better than I deserved. All Joe Pisarczyk had to do was fall on the damn ball again, and it was over. However, on the Giants' sideline, offensive coordinator Bob Gibson decided that the safe play, the winning play, was for Joe Pisarczyk to hand the ball off again to Larry Zonka. Now, that might have been the right play, only Bob Gibson and everybody else failed to tell Larry Zonka. Larry Zonka assumed he was there just to block for Joe Pisarczyk as Joe Pisarczyk collapsed to the turf and ran out the clock and got me a better grade. Instead... Pisarczyk handed the ball to where Zonka's hands should have been, except Larry Zonka was in a blocking stance, and Pisarczyk, in fact, handed it off directly to Larry Zonka's helmet. I screamed. The ball bounced once off the turf and directly into the hands of Philadelphia cornerback Herman Edwards. I continued to scream. There was nobody near Edwards, and he scooted 26 yards into the end zone, and the Giants lost the damn game 19-17 in the last seconds. And as the Giants fans at the radio station shouted or moaned or swore, I could see Professor Joel Silby shutting off the TV, grabbing our papers, and sentencing us to hell. And I continued to scream. Our term papers were returned on Tuesday the 21st, just before school broke for Thanksgiving. I actually was thankful. I got either a B or a B plus. I can't find the paper. It should be somewhere in a box. There was a rumor, which I was never able to confirm, that my B or B plus was the highest grade in the class. I can confirm... I saw classmates, most far more prepared and astute than myself, most of them history majors, looking at their grades and blanching visibly. One girl cried, a C? Really? A C? Professor Joel Silby said much of our grade would depend on how well the New York football giants did in that 1978 National Football League season, and by God, they had just sustained a loss so bad that it is still talked about to this day. My classmates did not listen And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. There is a postscript. The postscript takes place 32 and one-half years later. I returned to Cornell in March of 2011 to give a lecture and teach a series of classes to students who no longer afterwards felt they had gotten their full money from the university. My alma mater was very kind to me, They gave me a tour of the secret places they never would have shown me when I was a struggling student, like where they kept Cornell's copy of the Gettysburg Address 
and they promised me something special for lunch the first day. And sure enough, I was dropped off at a restaurant, and there, rising from a table to greet me with applause, were Cornell's official historian and former professor Glenn Altshuler and their very famous history professor Walter Lefebvre, and I swear, Professor Joel Silby. And they were fans of mine. Of course, I could not leave well enough alone. After a few minutes of very pleasant conversation with Mr. Altshuler and Professor Lefebvre and Professor Silby, I brought up the 1978 term paper Joe Pisarczyk handoff story. Professor Lefebvre looked at Professor Silby like Professor Silby was out of his mind. Is that true? And Silby smiled and said, yes, yes it is. And then Joel Silby looked off into the distance as if he were peering backwards through time. 1978, that's when you could really enjoy being a professor. He then looked back at me and smiled. Keith, you won't believe this, but I actually graded those papers pretty fairly, and I, I didn't follow through on my original plan. After the fumble, I actually turned off the TV, and I sat there for a few minutes, and I asked my soul if it was okay for me to take my revenge on the universe by failing all of you. Lefebvre gulped. Oh, said Sylvie, it was so great to be a professor back then. I laughed so much I had tears in my eyes, and then Silby said, Okay, okay, maybe I was a little unfair to you guys, but, you know, it's the Giants. And you have to take this as a whole. The year they won their first Super Bowl, what was that, 86? The final exam in that class was like two days after they finished the regular season 14-2, and 8 o'clock in the morning. So I go to the final, see, which I never do, and I waited until they were all sitting there sweating. And I said, remember last September when I told you your grade will depend on how well the New York football giants do in this 1986 National Football League season? And it was just silence. And I said, well, if you didn't notice, they went 14-2. and two, And I haven't been this happy since when they won the title in 1956. So guess what? There's no final exam. And nobody moved. So I said it again. There's no final exam. Go home. Go study for something else. Y'all get A's. And then there was a couple of seconds of silence, and they all simultaneously realized I was not kidding, and everybody cheered and ran out into the sunshine. So with me and Professors Altshuler and Lefebvre now in tears, Silby said, See? It evens out. And I said, The hell it does. I graduated in 1979. How does a canceled final in 1986 even it out for me, fella? Joel Silby thought for a second, and then he said, Well, I am buying you lunch. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown Musical Directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Produced by TKO Brothers. Countdown has come to you from the Olbermann Broadcasting Empire World Headquarters in the Sports Capsule Building in New York. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was Tony Kornheiser. 
Everything else pretty much my fault. So that's countdown for this, the 840th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Don't forget, keep arresting him while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.